Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Matt. Welcome to Roleplay Chat. We are two game masters who can't stop talking about role-playing games. And today we talk about how players manage risk in TTRPGs. And we're going to focus in on the roleplay so we can get better at it together. But you okay, before Matt, we do that, using like a radio voice, like, like oh a, yeah, I'm trying and... to be, I'm trying to sound sexy. If I hope it's <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just, I'm actually just tired, Chris. I'm a little tired. I uh, got my, I got my vaccine in today. You know, emitting five G, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! We lost some listener. Yeah. <laughs> Careful about I'm, I'm just, I'm lot. just teasing. But, um, but did you know you just have to take like a bath with magnets and mm, neutralizes? That's them. how that works. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Double A, triple A, doesn't matter. Magnets, not batteries. Oh, so bad. See, I'm already out of it. <laughs> Maybe both. Let's do both. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. What can happen? Right? Water, magnets, and batteries. What's what's what can happen? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, how yeah. are you doing, Chris? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. My semester is almost uh, almost done, so summer is coming. Forward to it, to having uh, time to play some some role playing game. Maybe maybe we'll get to meet up. That's exciting. Uh, meet up outstairs, social distancing and everything. But the, but uh, but still, maybe maybe. Yeah. Uh, That'll be good. That'll be good. It'll be fun. I'm looking forward to playing in person for sure. Um, and outside's the best we can get right now, anyway. And before we get too much into the conversation, Chris, I did want to have a short commercial break. Uh, we have our friends over at the From Afar podcast who sent in a small promo that I'd like to play now, if you don't mind. Welcome, travelers. Seems like you're looking for a story. Well, I got one for you. Involves adventure, friendship, and all hey, sorts hey, of. Uh, Earl, why don't you tell him about that time I stole that big ass melon? Yeah, yeah, I, I was going for more. Or you could tell him about the time I kicked her ass, Earl. I wouldn't ever tell him. Do about I need that to get time. my ref gear on? Okay, everyone, shut up. Now come with me as I tell you a story from afar. Hey everybody, my name's David. I'm the DM for From Afar Podcast. A From Afar Podcast is all about four friends separated by distance, brought together by adventure. Hope you all stop by and give us a listen. Thanks. Hope you guys go check out the From Afar Podcast. They're a great bunch, and their actual play is is fantastic stuff. It's it's a lot of fun. It's high stakes adventure and uh, pretty pretty funny stuff. So go check them out uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the things that have has been a lot of fun for me kind of outside of the game is that we've been spending a lot of time you know talking about how we can kind of speed up combat how we can how we can improve um our i guess our the tactics that that we employ in the game to try to maximize fun if you will mm -hmm. uh and those conversations have been a lot of fun they've been really insightful and kind of brought me back to like the beginning of roleplay chat, you know, when when we had a problem that we were trying to solve, and we'd have those discussions after the game. I don't know if it made you reminiscent of those times too. Yeah, for sure. The like staying late after, like I feel like we we still do that, but it's usually like story discussion, narrative discussion of like, oh, what could happen, and like people like 
hypothesizing and but like in the last two games i guess it has been more about uh i feel like we had one and maybe that's good for the listener like we had one combat that was very slow very slow and at one point i think in maybe a third of the combat maybe even before that i stopped the group and I just introduced a reality check in the group of like, someone can stop and be like, are we all cool with this? So I kind of did a reality check. And I was like, guys, you guys are like strategizing every character's turn. Are you cool with that? And you and two other players were really vocal about like, yeah, we're having lots of fun strategizing or, you know, talking tactics, you know, strategy and tactics might be used a little bit interchangeably here, even though they're not the same thing, but like talking a lot about like from mm -hmm. turns to turns, uh, what to do. Two others were not that vocal. Uh, didn't, didn't say that they didn't like it either. Um, but what happened is by the end of the fight, I think everybody felt like once the big creature fell, like big, the Minotaur, um, everybody felt like, okay, the combat is done. And we don't have the energy to continue. So I had to like speed up the end and kind of like fast forward it. But I was kind of a little bit disappointed because at the end of the combat, there was supposed to be like a bridge to like the encounter was to cross a bridge while being ambushed. The goal was not really to kill the ambushy, the ambushers, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but it was late and stuff like that. So So it kind of sparked the conversation of are we optimizing the fun out of the game, which is like a term that you guys took from, uh, I don't know if you remember the yeah, name. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, a small little 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 segue, but it's a very popular YouTube channel called Game Makers Toolkit by Mark Brown. He has a lot of interesting videos. They're mainly about video games. But yeah, there is a game where he, he oh, sorry, there is a video where he talks about how players will sometimes optimize the fun out of a game. And and you're absolutely right, Chris. You know, after that game, we sat down and talked about it, and me and one other player both like quoted that video, that YouTube video. So it definitely felt like something had to happen. Some something something's got to give. Um, and and without revealing too much of that conversation, I I think for the listeners, you know, it's gonna come eventually. We I, Chris and the rest of the players at the table, myself included have been thinking about how to make it more fun at the table and, and how to prevent uh, the, the tactics from impeding on the fun or for, from us over-optimizing. And so we'll, maybe we'll touch on that in another episode once we've tried and tested the solutions that we're brainstorming. So we're maybe, Chris, if you're okay with that, let's leave that there and kind of springboard into today's conversation, which, which stems from this, right? So we... Chris and I had a chat and we figured maybe it would be interesting to talk about player types as um, you know we haven't we haven't ventured into the realm of player types on the channel yet and we thought that perhaps now would be a good time to start yeah I mean we've talked about it since the the inception of like the, the start of this adventure of roleplay task roleplay chat Ooh, perhaps is here um and we always kind of, every time it was kind of on the table and we're like, ah, no, it's, like, it feels like it's been done, right? It feels like we've talked about this a, a lot, you and I, like, it feels like, you know, all the main channel 
have a version of that and they usually put like one more character type that they they feel like they're like oh i'm revolution revolutionizing this thing and it, it's done and it's also often like either a good type or a bad type you know it's like here's why this is bad and and some some are more nuanced but i don't know we 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 didn't want to do that but in this discussion when we started talking about like some some players want to talk more about the tactics and every round and ask a lot of questions during combat and some others are more like let's just move forward let's just act let's just and it, it brought us talking about, like you said, character types. But as we talked about character types, we kind of were like preparing this episode. We 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 figured there's a maybe more interesting way of talking about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I like that you said that it's been done to death because I think it has been done to death, Chris. And you know, as fantastic as we are, I don't think. For those of you listening, you need to hear us repeat the words of like Colville or or the How to Be a Great GM channel or or there's actually I'm gonna do a plug for something completely different here. Um, maybe you've heard of it, Chris. It's called Robin's Laws of Game Mastering, and it's actually a pretty interesting uh, little PDF. It's I want to say it's like 10 years or maybe 15 years old now at this point. Um, for those of you listening, check it out. It's pretty cool. Uh, it talks about like tips and tricks on being a game master, but it's like a article. It's a news article. It's a written article, and in there he has, I think it's like six different player character types. So something to explore if that's what you're interested in in learning about. But like Chris said, uh, we're gonna try and take a different angle here, and instead of specifically singling in on a, a like a tag that'll quantify an entire player and all of their behaviors at the at the table. Chris and I are going to take it kind of one slice at a time. And we're going to look... So today's episode is going to be the first of potentially several others, not sequenced out, like we'll, we'll, we'll space them out, where we talk about uh, player behavior kind of more broadly. And we're going to look at a specific behavior type, a specific category of behavior that's not mutually exclusive from other behavior types. So today's episode is going to be one spectrum of behavior that can be coupled with future spectrums of behavior. And as you slide up and down these different spectrums, you create the infinite amount of potential player types that exist in our hobby. Um, I don't know, Chris, if you had anything else to add uh, to that. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's good. I think we tend, as human, and both of you and I have math degrees, and we, we tend to like to create categories. Sometimes it's a little bit re re reductive. So uh, here we're going to talk about how certain players manage or deal with risk at the table. And obviously we mean risk as in like in the game, not yeah. like outside, you know. Uh, so Though sometimes I'm sure there's a lot of correlation uh, between that. And we do, we, we kind of concentrate on player here. like. Some character will maybe bleed into the player and really influence those decisions, and we're going to talk about this. But um, so basically, what we mean by this risk spectrum is what what amount of risk are you willing to take? Obviously, if the the reason you would take risk would be like, are you going to take high risk to be able to like buy a beer at the bar? 
in the, in the game. No, we're talking about situation where risk can actually add something. So so let's take both an extreme ends because that's always a good way I think to visualize what we're talking about. Um, let's take the 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 low risk or like risk averse player, I guess. Um, in what is it relates to, and I think one word we can associate with it is the tactician. If we would want to like try to summarize it in one word, and now we fall into player types. It's but it's more nuanced than that, right? Yeah, yeah. And actually, I'm going to back it up one last second there, Chris, just to make sure it's super clear for people listening. Um, so like Chris said, we're, we're talking about a spectrum here of risk. And it's going to be a spectrum of risk that fits into a player behavior, whether they accept the risk or they, they avoid it. So again, looking back on player character type or player types, this is, this is going to be one spectrum that affects players and their decisions and and game masters right like how a game master might run a game for people who live more on one end of the spectrum than the other um and like you said chris it's a risk profile and on one end the end where risk is avoided almost at all cost is this pure tactician like you said um and maybe we can get a little personal here what what does a tactician you know someone who doesn't want any risk in their game what is that to you chris have you do you have experience playing with people like that um when do you feel you're at your most tactical that that kind of stuff maybe we'll <laughs> poke into the personal a little bit poke into the personal a little bit um i i did uh i, I am game mastering for once for someone that i would consider that i mean it's hard to be a hundred percent and that's our friend who plays uh, otis at our table and I mean, last game he did a move that is not risk averse. Like there was a moment where uh, his character was was uh, his character, but like someone close to him was in danger, and he did not do that. So he's not a hundred percent, but he's pr probably the, the the player I had that was the most risk averse. Which means he asked a lot of questions about um, what's what's in there, what's to my left, what can I see? A lot like recap of like what do I see, what can I do. And uh, he usually also, uh, when he has an idea, he doesn't tend to just do it, like just tell me like, I'm gonna do it. He's more like, he always asks me like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. Would that be a good idea? Or would that be, like he tend to ask other people for validation to make sure he doesn't yeah. take a risk that is not, that does not make sense or that he could avoid. Um, so he asked like, I think one of the things he, a tactician, if we want to go like risk averse person, hates the most is not realizing they're taking risk when they are, you know, like making a move and then realizing because you roll that, you know, you fall into fire or something and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that that was a possibility. I wouldn't have done that otherwise. You know, you took a risk without even knowing it. That's kind of like the worst thing that can happen if like you fall into the, the trap or whatever. So definitely that. Uh, I think my, if we go like personal, my experience with it is more like that. It's more this. It's more like me as a game master, game mastering for someone like this. And it took me a while to, um, I, I won't say notice it, but like, it sounds bad, but almost to value it. Like, it felt like something to go like around for a while. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like as a game master, I can almost more embrace it as a, as a good thing. 
and maybe we can talk about tactics of like game mastering for for a tactician. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Maybe we can. Um, yeah. In my experience, I mean, I've game mastered for the same player uh, that you're talking about, and he was one of the first players I game mastered for. And and to be honest, when I was game mastering for the first times, I kind of played combat that way. And, and in fact. I was game mastering Dungeons and Dragons 4th edition, which is a system notorious for having combat, uh, for the combat system being built in a way that very much uh, almost requires tactical decisions. Or, or at least, you know, there's a lot of value in being tactical because of the, the plethora of options and powers and spells and attacks that you have. And I was kind of going into this as a game master thinking, okay, combat is like this. And I would base a lot of my combat off of video game, like tactical mm -hmm. video games, where, you know, grid-based combat is, is very common in these turn-based tactical video games. So it kind of almost like incentivized him to play that way even more. Um, so, so absolutely, you know, I guess what I'm saying here is my experiences have kind of brought to light to me how critical a system is in this risk aversion or, or, or you know, in this risk profile. A, a system and a, and a system's like the mechanics behind a system or the way that a game is built, I feel like if it empowers the player a lot and gives the player a lot of choice and gives the player like all these rules and all these powers and all these attacks oftentimes is going to equip the players that are very tactical and they're going to like it whereas if it's somebody who's less uh tactical they might find themselves on the other end of the spectrum and might not enjoy a system like dungeons and dragons fourth edition because to them it doesn't kind of it doesn't ring true to how they want to play the game um so so anyway I, Went on, went on a bit of a tangent there, maybe, but um, I think other things that I can, I can kind of picture when I think of somebody who's kind of on this, uh, this end of the, uh, the end of the spectrum is that they're going to value, like you said, Chris, they're going to value the strategy of the game. They're going to value the tactics of the game. They're going to really think, what am I doing? What are the other players going to do? And, and it's, it's really in this effort to understand everything that's going on. Which can be a good thing, uh, but it can also be a bad thing in the fact that it can slow down the game quite a bit. Yeah, uh, and and I think I think I think I'd like to stay here for a while because I think there's a lot to say actually here. And 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 one other thing, we talk about this uh, player, but I think you are somewhat also of a of a tactician, maybe not like extreme extreme, uh, but but. But you are, especially in combat, right? Like mm -hmm. in combat, mm -hmm. you tend to like really play the mechanics. And I think that's an also like we've been going around it a little bit, but mechanics are very important because that's how you are going to be like doing your tactics, right? So, uh, but the other thing is teamwork. Um, you are a tactician. We have our friend Vince, who's been on the show, who's also in combat, again, uh, a, a tactician. So when you have all three uh, talking about strategy, sometimes it can uh, slow down. So 
it's it's very important to realize that. And in my other game, I have three players who are tactician too, but I only have three players. So they don't care about it. You know, I don't have anybody on the sideline just waiting for it to, to go forward. And something that we notice in that fight that I think it's important to notice here is also this problem of fight slowing down really ramps up when the danger ramps up. You know, like when you guys felt like, oh, this is, my character might die in this combat. This combat is deadly. And I don't mean like the the deadly of like D&D, but I mean like the general, like we might die. And we're probably going to die if we don't play tactically. And that's when it just goes, slows down a lot. And you guys talk about it and you guys like it. But uh, yeah, that that creates this. So it, it kind of links why it's so much about risk. If there's no risk at all, even a tactician will move relatively fast, right? And be just like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh, there's not that much danger. I, I have a lot of, of, of range, a lot of, <laughs> of permission, a lot of cushion, cushion before I actually have actual risk. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. The, and, and this, I, I, I kind of want to sit on this idea of how sometimes players can kind of edge each other on too, right? If, especially when you have a couple of people who, who are like that at your table, it can absolutely alienate the others that aren't. And that was something that happened at our table. And that was why we had the long-winded conversations after the game to try to figure out a strategy that worked for everybody. Because something that... Um, I think tacticians can do, and it's important for game masters to be aware of, is that, like you said, Chris, they can kind of do this, they can kind of turn it into like a cooperative board game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? they, can, they can turn the fight into a cooperative board game where, okay, we all have a character, yeah, sure, but we're all playing together against the board. So let's all plan out each other's moves together to make it, like to really reduce that risk as much as we can and, and really capitalize on every situation that is presented to us. Um, a question here for you. When you play Pandemic, the board game, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I'm sure it's been a while since you played it now because of the <laughs> situation, you know. But when you play that, does everybody play their character or do you spend your turns like brainstorming everybody's character? Uh, yeah, the, the, the latter. We, like we take... I mean, you know, sometimes when there's no optimal move or you're not sure what the optimal move is, you just say, okay, do whatever you want. But there's definitely a lot of, oh, you could do this and you could do that so that on my turn, I could do this. And then somebody else chimes in saying, oh yeah, that's true. And then when it's my turn, I'm, I'm probably going to do that. If, if, uh, if, the, if there's no outbreaks over here, but if there is, then I'm going to do that. Like, right? Like there's, you create this like string of options that yeah. you can hopefully predict based on your understanding of the game. And that's exactly how I think we played that fight with the Minotaur. Exactly, like that's yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah, and I, I played this game Pandemic with with, uh, with some of our friends. Uh, one is, I don't know if he cares if I say his name, so I won't. But like uh, one of our friends who just joined the, the table not too long ago, but... Uh, were f- three and a half tacticians that were playing out of four. And if so, a game that should take an hour and a half takes us like three hours, three hours and a half to play when we played the Legacy. 
And that's exactly what it is. And then you get so tired by the end of the evening that you're just like slugging through and that's what, what's happening there. And on top of that, what happens is sometimes you realize that you won or lost like three rounds in advance because <laughs> yeah. you thought about it for 25 minutes, you know? So, uh, and that can be, that is what we mean by optimizing the fun out of the game. You know, Absolutely. I, I think we, we kind of forgot to go back on this, but like if you optimize everything at one point, you're not optimizing fun, which is more like playing the game as intended. So I think that covers that covers you know the one end of the spectrum, right, Chris? This the person who is very risk averse, and you know we're kind of tagging them under the name of tactician, um, just because I think it's a cool name, and you think it's a cool name, and I think it suits. I think it suits this uh, risk aversion. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, if we go fully to the the opposite end, where somebody embraces risk, somebody is almost eager to look for scenarios where they put their character at risk. That player is somebody who we're going to call a a cinematic player. Somebody who is striving to have a cool moment. Somebody who wants to do something and when they do it, it feels like an action sequence in a movie where the camera zooms into what they're doing. Um, that's somebody who is embracing risk. And the reason we say this is because that cinematic moment, for the most part, is going to happen because of the payoff when they pull something off that's really cool, when they risk it big, or the opposite, right? If, if they get themselves in a whole lot of trouble, it's still going to be impactful, it's still going to be cinematic, in that something went horribly wrong and the, the camera's going to zoom in on what they've done. So this player type is kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum because, like we said, they're, they're embracing this risk. They're sometimes even seeking it out and putting themselves in a precarious situation purposefully. Um, so I don't know, Chris, if you want to talk a little bit about cinematic players. Again, maybe we can touch on the personal. How, how do you feel <laughs> about cinematic players in, in your games, in your life? I start since I started last time, or do you... I know you've been talking, but I don't mind it if you, if you want to... Sure, I can start. Yeah, no, I don't mind. Um, and I think... This is going to sound kind of funny, but I think I almost, like, romanticize cinematic players. Me, personally. In, in my mind, when I think of a cinematic player, I think of, oh, wow, that's so cool... They're going to make all these cool moments. And as somebody who really enjoys um, who really enjoys story and narrative, I often confuse a cinematic moment with its narrative. Like, I, I often confuse cinematic and narrative. I think, oh, because it's cinematic, it's going to have narrative impact. It's going to have narrative value, which isn't always the case. You know, you can have a moment that embraces risk that adds very little to a game or completely derails a narrative that people have been trying really hard to construct. So if I'm going to add my flavor to this, it's that I've been learning a lot about myself, actually, as we have these conversations, because I used to think, wow, cinematic always means great, always means narrative, always means story-driven. That's not the case. And I think that's an important thing, an important marker for us to make for the listeners as well. Um, because that was something that I think 
was re- re- revelatory. No. Anyway, when it happened to me, I was grateful to have made that revelation. Um, so yeah, so yeah. I, I think I, if I, I just want to stress that point before you you continue because I think it's so it's such a small detail, but I think it's so important to understand. Um, because people will be like, "Oh, I'm, I don't care about tactics because I care about the story." It's like you, Matt. You're, you're one of the more narrative player that I know. Like the 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 story is so important, and yet in combat you become all about achieving the goal because the goal is the story, right? You know, like achieving this is what is going to make this story valuable at the end. So it's not about me doing something flashy, which could be more cinematic. And obviously, these we put on the spectrum as kind of opposite. But there's a certain situation where you can have both. You can you can have both and you can do something that is tactical and cinematic in that sense we're not opposing those two things as mutually exclusive what we're saying is some some player some players will um value one more than the other and depending on the spectrum uh Mm -hmm. it's kind of the rule of cool right it's it's oh this is cool i have to do it because it's cool um where how much coolness does it take you to like not have the tactics or how much basically how much risk are you able to uh, do, are you willing to take for a cool moment and i think when you stre- when you talked about um like oh i sometimes mix or oh, i value it i guess i think as a game master you you do and i think it's there's a tendency for everybody to va- including me of course to value those cinematic moments like i often mm-hmm. like someone says something cool and i'm like this is cool i'll allow it or you get a plus whatever on your row like or you get advantage or you know we tend to do this because we were like oh this exactly what you said like this is going to be good for the story well i mean if you watch like i don't know 300 the movie 300 there's a lot of cinematic things does that mean the movie is good in that in that movie i think we can say yes but you watch Justice League, and there's a lot of somatic moment. Does that mean the story is good? In that sense, I think let's mm-hmm. forget about Zack Snyder's cut. Like, <laughs> I, I think we we can say that it's not always true. So these are different, and I think it's a good example of of two move. Like you can have cinematic and not good story, and, and vice versa. So yeah, sorry, I just want to stress that because I think it's so so important to understand. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's not and, Things, things can, like you're saying, Chris, things can be cinematic and narrative. Things can be narrative because of how cinematic they were, or, or they can be cinematic because of how narrative they are. Like, they're, they're intertwined, yes, but for the purposes of this conversation and for the purposes of what being cinematic is, it's not linked one-to-one with... Uh, story and narration especially when you're a hundred percent cinematic when when you're a player character or when you're a character when you're a player who's accepting and leaning into risk all the time and your threshold for how much risk you need to start thinking about tactics is astronomical astronomically high Mm-hmm. you're you're gonna be generating some really 
crummy situations for the other players to be dealing with. And and this is where I think both ends of the spectrum uh, create problems, right? We, we said if you're super tactical, you can alienate people. The same thing can happen if you're being super cinematic, where if every move you do is putting yourself in an extremely risky situation, it's almost being like you're hogging the ball and you're not playing you're not you're not playing the team sport anymore because you're forcing everybody else to react to what you're doing and kind of pick up the tactical slack that you that you've created. Um, so I mean, sorry, I kind of went no, off. No, I, I think there. I think I mean I mean it's funny because I wrote myself some some points. The first one was narrative question mark, and you addressed it. The second one, well, they're not in that order, but like another point of that was put team in in risky situation. I think it's solely valid. By mm -hmm. taking risk by yourself, you're doing often suboptimal choices in terms of tactics, and then everybody else has to deal with the consequences of it. And sometimes, something I'll tag to, to this part of the discussion will be um, talking about death. You know, like often people that are willing to take a lot of risk don't, are, are willing to see their character die. For, like mm -hmm. consequences mm -hmm. in general, but let's take death as that's the example of, of, of consequences. Well, maybe sometimes you take a risk and that's not you who takes the damage. Not you that deals with the, the consequences and thus someone else has died. And then you can be like, well, it's no big deal. It's just a character. But that's because you're concentrated on the cinematic and taking high, a lot of risk and not really worrying about your character where someone who's tactician, who's been playing optimally to for goal and and then you don't manage to get your objective or your character dies or whatever the consequences can be super 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 fr frustrating and like you said that is what a, a, a creates a problem between those extremes and and i've heard like when we talked about like uh the tactician taking too much time we we because you just talked about sorry i'm all over the place you talked about the tactical slack right well mm -hmm. i've heard cinematic players saying like i have to play super fast my turn because the tactician took too much time so i have to take the slack of like playing fast you know so i feel like those two extremes are kind of like trying to balance each other by going to even more extremes mm -hmm. of like i'm gonna play even more cinematic because you're not and faster and the tactician like i'm gonna like slow down more because you're not doing the attack so so i think one of the solutions we'll talk like and I'll let you talk at one point. <laughs> but like one of the social <laughs> talk is about finding a middle ground. Uh, but no, I think putting the team yeah. in is, is... No, I, I, I like that. And I think we'll get the solutions and, yeah. and middle grounds after, if, if you're okay with that, Chris. I think we're almost done talking about the, the cinematic player uh, at that highest end of risk uh, acceptance. Um, one thing that I do want to say, though, is that it can create pretty cool moments. Yeah. Right. The I don't want to be ragging on this risk acceptance because there are some perks to it. Just like there are perks to the tactician, right? They they come up with really clever moves. They find good strategies. Well, the cinematic player is gonna create very fun moments. Oftentimes, they're gonna uh, make decisions that will have narrative impact. They will do a move that mechanically is suboptimal, but narratively is beneficial. 
And that's kind of where that line blurs, right? And that's why people often confuse the two. Because if you have somebody who's going to put themselves at risk to save an NPC, and then that NPC is saved, wow, now that NPC has a new bond with your character, and there's going to be narrative impact that happens after. So there's great things that can come of these cinematic moments. Not to mention that for most people when they're playing, even the tactical players, you like watching you like watching these cool moments unfold. It's just you don't want them to always be at the expense of you know, of the strategy and of the tactics. But anyway, so I that that's I think that's enough for me. I don't know, Chris, if you had anything to add about the uh, the cinematic player that maybe we've uh, we've missed. Um, I, I mean, I don't think we missed it, but something maybe I, I want to talk about it, a, a bit like when we talk about strategic is like the game master role and all of that. I, I think the game master, mm. at least in when I game master, I try to put situation that will be cinematic for someone to like interact with it, and I try to put situation that are like you need to be tactical about it. Um, so I like to have both again, right? We can have both. And and I think cinematic players are great when they notice those um, opportunities and take them. I think when I have a hard time is when I guess they don't wait for an opportunity and they just try to create their own at the moment where that can create more problem than just having the cool moment. And something also I notice is like, and maybe that's a very limited uh, like amount of players that I've had that, that did that. So it's just my personal experience. But like, I feel like often when someone takes a round or two to do something cinematic, often they, they will end up only doing this for the whole like combat, for instance, or like the whole exploration. They'll like, they'll do their thing and then they'll just like be like, okay, I did my thing. Or, I don't know, they, they'll have a hard time. It's difficult to be con continuously cinematic and also provide team support, like a, like a contribution to the rest of, the, of what's happening. So it's kind of like the focus is, is difficult sometimes to like exit this mind state, this state of mind of yeah. like, I need something cool to happen, you know? And I think I, I like how you talked about the game master's role and all that, right? Because the game master's role is to have a is to create a fun game for everybody, um, including themselves. So it's you know if one player is constantly putting themselves in situations where they're expecting a cinematic moment, but you as the game master, you're saying, okay, well, I want to give you what you're asking for, what you've come to play the game with, but it also quote unquote. Like I don't want to say optimizes the fun out of it, but like if you're having if you're having a cinematic moment every other turn, then is it is it still cinematic? Like, <laughs> right, it, it takes away from the impact. So for the game master to allow for that impact to be meaningful, it shouldn't happen all the time, and it should be distributed in a relatively even way amongst all of the players. So you know you. It almost becomes like a spotlight management uh, yeah. situation that kind of ends up and, happening. And I, 
I think I think also in terms of like the weight of the cinematic moment, I think if you don't wait for an opportunity for it to happen, it just feels like it's going to, I think it's going to fell flat a little bit because you're like, why did you, it almost like, I don't know, it's it's kind of like the, the action movie where there's like a bridge and uh, and the guy like runs and jumps over the the like the river, but there's a bridge right next to it. And you're like, why didn't you just take the bridge? Like, because it's so much cooler to jump over. Yeah, but there's a bridge right there, you know. So it's kind of like just to be cinematic is not mm-hmm. like you need to mm-hmm. also wait for. Now, if if you go and the bridge collapses, now it's actually cool, and now there's like everybody will be like, oh, otherwise. So, I, like this is my metaphor, I guess, for it, but like. I've seen it in the last two games, uh, I guess three games. Like, I remember like you, Diedrich, having such a cool cinematic moment of of getting away by like hair uh, with you and 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 another player. Like, it was one of the greatest moments. And some other situation that was cinematic, but kind of like no consequences related to it, kind of fell flat in comparison. So. I think it's in last game, or I guess second two games ago, uh, our our priest had a chart from a Minotaur. Well, he didn't like he put himself there to take it tactically, but it was so cool. It was cinematic because it had a value in in the combat. Anyway, I think I think I think we I think I'm beating a dead horse here. But one thing <laughs> I'll say to, to finish though is if we bring it back to personal opinion, I guess. I really value my cinematic players in low-risk combat. So when there's a low-risk combat, and I've put those like nuggets of like this could be cinematic, they go for it and they do like having a suboptimal choice of like getting away from combat to do something cool on the side, even though uh, it's not like tactically the, the most important thing. It like you said, it can lead to narrative things, and that I love in low risk. I found that in high risk, it's the tactician that shines because that's the person who's going to get the job done. Yeah, no, it's a good point, and I like that you talked about uh, these little nuggets, and maybe that can be kind of our segue actually into into finding the balance because I, I, you know, like all spectrums, I think if you live on one end of that spectrum. Oftentimes, there's a kind of like a unanimous consensus that it's not a good idea to to like solely be a hundred percent risk averse, or solely a hundred percent be uh, all for risk. Or you know, you, you listen to like one of our episodes, or one of our past episodes about railroad and sandbox, or you look up any article about railroad and sandbox, and often the, you know, the elaborate explanation is that neither is good. Find a middle ground. Well, I, th- I think that's exactly what we're going to say here, and I think we should explain why, um, especially for the situation with risk aversion. And I think what you're saying, Chris, is kind of key to that, right? When you're saying, if you're in a situation where you need to take some risks or you need to do something that is not tactical, that is not optimal, because otherwise the, the, the combat is maybe a little bit flat or maybe the situation is a little bit flat that's when the players can really add a lot of value to the game and that that's where they can really shine they can get creative they can invent their own risk 
that they take on. And then you as the game master, like, wow, I didn't even consider that as part of a risk here. But yeah, let's 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 create some stakes for you based on what you're talking about, and it's gonna add that flavor. Um, so I, I I might keep going, but do you have anything to to add to that, Chris? No, no, I I think it's good. I think we could do the same for for the the tactician here of like, uh, but, but I'll let you continue with. Yeah, well, kind of. So kind of where I was gonna go with that is like you're saying in a high risk situation, if somebody has a high tolerance for risk they're going to start adding risks to something for their character to, to react to when they don't need to anymore. The, mm -hmm. the, the game master and the situation is already so full of things for you to have your character be worried about that you don't need to start generating risk for yourself. Uh, you don't need to start being overly cinematic because the environment will enable that cinematic moment to happen. So I think, you know, on the, on the spectrum of risk tolerance, you almost need to try to find yourself, right? Like, okay, how much risk am I going to tolerate and how much risk is necessary for me to generate, I, I, mm -hmm. if, if that makes sense? Um, yeah, no, I, I think it does. I, th I think it, it, the first part of, of what you, you're saying is you need to almost realize how much risk is <laughs> currently affecting the group uh and that that can be a challenge on its own uh yeah. i remember two three games ago you guys had to escape a place and there was like a wall to climb and at the end of the combat one or two players i think one player was saying like oh i didn't realize that wall was going to be ho so hard to climb by the other people because they just went over because they had good athletics and like, like I didn't realize it was going to be that hard for the other play players or the character, I should say. So, so that was kind of like the whole encounter was almost getting above this, this wall. So it was hard. It's hard to not, you know, like if that person wants to add their own challenge after that, then you're like at the game master, you're like, don't do this. Like I, I, you should help them instead of creating your own challenge by yourself, you know? Um, so that that is the first step, rec recognizing, and maybe here we we fall into solution a little bit of like that is that might be the game master's role to be like you mm -hmm. realize that this is happening, or I mean game master, but I think this one is actually put on the players of like having the other players say, dude, or you know, come and help us, like you're leaving us alone, or like kind of call them of like i'm gonna have a hard time doing this like i need assist here yeah and actually i really like that you're talking about that chris because so there's a couple things you said that I, I i find really interesting one that yeah the onus is on i think the onus is on both right the game master yeah. and the players um but i i think one thing that a lot of people are gonna you know i i challenge you to come at me on twitter but i'm actually gonna say that in these situations meta knowledge is necessary because there's going to be people that say, no, I don't want to know any meta knowledge. I'm trying to play my character and I'm trying to be true to my character. But the thing is, we are people crafting a story together, but we are also playing a character. So the way I see it is if 
let, let's use this example of the previous game or a couple of games ago we were trying to cross this bridge trying to cross this wall some people were stuck on the other side of the wall because it was really hard for them to climb up there were other people on the other side of the wall who had made it to safety quote unquote to safety and you know some people might say well if the people on one side of the wall can't see the other people on the other side in danger well you know they they shouldn't do anything because their character wouldn't know any better but the thing is here this is where some of this the spectrum has to come into play for you to be able to generate a fun uh cinematic moment the right thing to do might actually be to use your meta knowledge of like oh i know they're in danger over there maybe i'm gonna have my character say hey is everything okay on the other side of the wall and then that creates an opportunity for the characters that in the story that we're building for them to interact and then for to, you know to enable or to reduce risk or to enable some kind of cool cinematic moment after so i i think this meta knowledge that we have as people around the table should be leveraged to try to reduce it if that makes sense mm -hmm. um and and I and I don't know if you agree with me or not, Chris. But I I think I totally it's kind of like a player's responsibility, right? I think that's the part that's the probably the player responsibility of, of communicating, and and uh, that happened to be in that situation that the player actually told me that oh the other character should have screamed to me like we need help. It's like well, you had the same board in front of you. You know you could have, like you said, kind of like found a way to move back and and also i i fully agree in in my my role as a game master in this i actually before when the first person arrived to the wall i was like this is a let's put it in dnd terms because most people know it but like dc 15 right to climb let's say mm -hmm. um and some people have full armor and bad strength or whatever and basically they got a disadvantage and they're like it's going to be hard to climb and other people it's going to be like a piece of cake because they have like plus seven and move like very easily and could have advantage that's not really the math of our system but like basically there's there's that's the situation so i started by just saying the difficulty like this is dc 15 and it's going to lower by two because of blah 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 every round it doesn't really matter but that means that I could describe it, and I did describe it, but like at one point, I, I'm your eyes, so I'm giving you the meta knowledge of this is the math. Yeah, you know? especially because of the risk, right? Yeah, the, there was so much risk associated to that situation that you giving us that information, that meta knowledge, was appreciated, or at least <laughs> I appreciated it, um, because it allows for us to you know avoid an unnecessarily risky situation of trying to climb the wall because we already know what's going on we can make educated decisions as players yeah and i think that's that's i think i i tend to value more the tactician than the cinematic player in my games uh just the way i set up my things and that's one of the the re like my style is here's the dc you guys make the tactic like talk amongst each other to make it worthwhile so i don't want someone to be like i'm gonna to try to climb the wall they roll they roll a 14 and they're like yay i have a 14 and you're like ah, eh, this is not good enough they're like what like have i known blah 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 and this goes back to what i said at the beginning of 
this feels like a cheap shot to me at least so so i i tend to give a little bit more information because of the high risk situation so yeah uh for sure but if we if if we take it to the the other end of it a little bit because we said like don't add your risk if you don't need to but it's good to ask it to, to add it if you if there's some room for it i guess uh-huh. it's the same thing i think for for tactics um i guess in terms of risk there's two ends but let's say it's a low risk situation i would say don't over analyze everything because otherwise like what's the point you you're just you're gonna wreck things if you're gonna wreck things you don't need to like optimize it for hours so that's definitely one end of it but i think which what is special here is that on the other hand where it's super risky there's also and we've talked about it there's also a point where you have to stop talking about it too right yeah. and then that's where no, we were right. talking about solution here of that's when we're gonna add a, a rule and and i think it's should i say it now or it's not really yeah you you can i think it it doesn't uh, uh detract from us talking about it again <laughs> uh I mean, it's it's a it's a simple rule. It's something that other people do. You might do it. It's just to to minimize. Like we can strategize at the beginning of every round, but then uh, you don't get to talk strategy outside of character. And if you talk inside character, it needs to be very very short. Something like what Matt said of like, oh, we need heal heal here, or we need help here, or go to the left, and I'll go to the right. But then the, the character can, the player can decide to not go to the left, even though he was told that. But the, the problem is, otherwise, it's just hold everything down. But the problem with this, the payoff of this, is that means that it's going to, the, the players are probably going to play suboptimally, compared to like making a plan every every turn. And that means they're taking more risk. So we had a whole discussion at our table that was basically, are we willing to take more risk as a group in order to speed up combat and have fun? So it's not just like, oh, let's just not strategize. Because then there's some issues with that. And the issue is that risk. So I, I would just say if you're a game master or even a player, and that that's a problem at your table, I know, like, I've seen, um, what's his face, uh, the GM Lair or the DM Lair or something like that, and he does something like that. And it's a it's a house rule that he imposes on his table of, like, that's what's happening. It's fine. It's your table. You do whatever you want. But I think if, if you have a table going right now and you want to add that rule, you might get some backlash of people going, I'm not, like, I want to strategize. I don't want my character to die. Um, and that was actually one of your concern right matt yeah no absolutely and and i think i i definitely agree have the, I, I would be of the mind that you should have those kinds of conversations with your players um something too that i think if you're somebody who's more on the tactical end of the spectrum here something that you can do i think to facilitate a less tactical approach or or at least to maybe increase your threshold for acceptance of of this fear of your character's death or whatnot is something that one of the characters one of one of the players at our table has done that actually really inspired me he has like a backup npc he 
uh, created a relationship with a backup NPC that he, you know, he that could maybe carry on his story if his character were to pass away. And you know, what a better way to become more tolerant to risk than finding yourself somebody that can kind of pick up the torch in a slightly different way. Now, I'm not advocating for you guys to, like, remove the risk of your character's death, right? Like, you still want your character's death to have impact if it should happen. But I think you need to, like, something that I can do as a player in a game is to to help come to terms with the possibility of my character dying is to open up some opportunities for me to still continue elements of the story that I really liked as a different character. So that's actually something, Chris, and I haven't even talked to you about this, but this is something that I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm trying to plant some of these seeds. And I'm going to try to take a different approach, actually. I'm going to try to plant, perhaps, some seeds with different characters in the world so that maybe there's one character for me to go back to, but then there's NPCs that I can go visit that can, like... Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I, cool. I, I want to take a less, like, linear approach with it. Um... Like a, a backup NPC would have to like almost like bring all the pieces back together to form your objective robot, <laughs> you know, like, like sort of, yeah, like, like and it, it kind of gives some flexibility too, right? Because then, then that this objective robot, let's call it that, because it's a fun yeah, name. Yeah, sorry, good word. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> then they're not obligated to do a hundred percent or ninety percent of what my character was going to do. I get to pick and choose, and you as the Game Master get to pick and choose what that character gets exposed to. Uh, So maybe I end up with just 30% of the things and the objectives, but they're still, like, available. They're still there, if that makes sense. Um, Another thing, too, and maybe this is a cop-out, but if if you're a tactician... If, or if you're a game master with players who are tacticians, I think that odds are, when they ramp up their tactics, it's because they're in a risky situation, right? So they don't have to go and create more risk for themselves. They're already in a risky situation. But I think if they take a few minutes to acknowledge that situation, maybe in like a quick roleplay scene, or a quick one-liner or something like that, or, or they describe the scene of them in front of a beast, or they embellish being attacked by something, and, and they really, like, have their character groan about it, and, like, turn around and say something. Like, you know, if, if they turn the situation that they find themselves in, and, like, embrace the cinematic of it, while still, perhaps, working on the tactics inside their head, I, I think it might actually like you said, Chris, help with that balance, right? If, if, you make this, if you make the scene appear cinematic, maybe the other person who's, who's trying so hard to make something cool happen is going to say, oh, well, something already happened. Maybe I can lay off. I don't know. I'm just mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to add a little bit to this here. But um... Yeah, no, I, I think it's true. It's true, and it's, it's about getting outside of your own mind, I think, like your mindset of... I, I've heard a lot cinematic players telling me like, oh, they play the combat like a board game. You know, like I'm not here to play Descent or even Gloomhaven for that matter. Like I'm here to have the cinematic 
of a role-playing game. So you're right. If if everybody kind of does the opposite of what their mindset is, like I guess it's probably going to need a um, con conscious uh, choice. Maybe that's something to talk at your table of like, let's try to have those description by the players. I tend to do yeah. like kind of a summary once around or sometimes something cool happens and I'll do it more than once around. But like, but I feel like it would probably be better if it be from players uh, and some players do it. But I, I think the, mo the most tacticians uh, sometimes get in the mindset of like, let's optimize and it's, it's harder to, to do where... Again, and that comes with high risk. Like for you, is a good example. I think I think you are great at doing those description, but you're better when it's low risk because you're concentrating on now. I have your kind of mm -hmm. like low risk makes you more cinematic of like, oh, I'm I I, I will do the description, but when there's high risk, you're like you're yeah, you need you're to focus. The blinders go you're up. You're a complicated yeah. character too, but like yeah, it's like mana management, and it's like <laughs> what am I going to cast next? And it's just like. It's kind of a puzzle, which is fun, but for the cinematic player, it's like he doesn't want to play it like a puzzle. He wants to play it like so. So it's and I'm saying the, but we actually have at least two, I would say. So it's it's not central to yeah, yeah. one one person, but and, yeah. and like you're saying, and, and like we've been saying this whole time, right, Chris? It's a spectrum, and different mm -hmm. people find themselves on different ends of the spectrum. I think the the problem here, and the reason this is a problem with so many people and so many tables out there have this problem is that every combat situation or every risky situation has like a quote-unquote level of risk, right? And everybody that finds themselves on the cinematic half of that, of that le level of risk are going to complain that the other people that are on the other side of it are being too tactical and, and vice versa. And I think that's why this is such a prolific problem in role-playing games is because every situation the players find themselves in is 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 an opportunity for the players to be divided by <laughs> that risk like barometer if 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 you know if yeah if, if the distance is the the most the more it's wide the more the problem is and i think i think i mean you said like oh you're gonna point at the other one and be like you're too tactic tactic tactician i guess you're too much of a tactician well that's not what they're gonna say right they're gonna say you take too much time playing it take we need to speed up combat and the other ones will be the tactician will say um but you're not playing you're doing, optimally yeah you're not playing optimally you're doing random things and what's the defense well that's what my character would do because i i do cinematic moment that i i and that's not always the one thing but like that could be an argument of like that's what my character would do they, like we had one player at one point lit a bar of dynamite and threw it in the middle of a building, and even now he says like, "Yeah, it's funny that I did that." Like, but it was <laughs> to be cinematic. It was a cinematic moment of like this exploding. And the thing is, at the game master, because I didn't want everybody to die, I had to like, kind of like make the dynamite not that big of a deal and just blow a little bit, and it's still kind of cinematic. But that way, it doesn't break the tactics of the other ones, like literally breaking everything. So it's, 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 yeah, it creates a dichotomy sometimes if it's at the extreme ends of it, especially when the tension is high, like, like a high risk situation. And, and maybe that is something, that's something I've been considering. And I, I kind of want your input on that because 
like I said, I feel like we have two. We just had two very intense fight, intense in terms of uh, high risk fights. So that's why we felt, I think, this big difference lately more than ever. Um, and I'm kind of wondering. I know I should make sure my fights are sometime high risk, sometime low risk. Like you know, like there's easy fights, but you know, I'm kind of like. I feel like it could work to also have like often high risk fights and just basically the thing that that moves is is kind of the player willingness willingness to to risk. I'm kind of like wondering about should I make very risky fight or very deadly fight more rare because of that reason? You know like I'm I'm almost afraid of having high stake fights because that's that's what create problems at the table. I yeah, uh, I mean it, <laughs> the I mean the stakes are definitely a part of this, right? Like I mean it's a risk spectrum. So if you if you remove the higher risk parts of that spectrum, then there's less opportunities for for it to be divisive, I guess. But but then again, you you also remove the innate ability for those moments to be cinematic, right? It's it's kind of like the, yeah. it's almost like impossible. The the yeah, one thing back to our death episode, right? Like where we where you said you had that such cool experience that you almost died. That's kind of what you're saying right now. Like it removes the cinematic moment. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've been thinking about it, but I think it's not a good way. Like I need to just do my fights, and that's yeah. I I don't know. I mean, one thing that. And, and I know you already do this, but one thing that I... And I don't know if it exactly touches upon the same thing. I definitely don't run games as deadly as you do. But uh, I, I think having optional elements of a fight and making those optional elements the things that are risky at least give mm -hmm. the players more choice, right? It, it, it lets a player say, okay, you know what? Let's go. I'm ready for more risk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and try to do this thing that is like get the extra treasure or or you know maybe save all of the npcs not just three or four of them um or or like put out the fire instead of just running away so like ha having like the bucket of water and the well be guarded by a bunch of really deadly creatures and it's like okay you could you can go over there and you can go get the water to put the fire out but like you're accepting this risk because you're going to get it and you're like taking it on is per is perhaps the way that I would do it. Um, so kind of like choose your own difficulty. Um, yeah. And that's kind of how I did the lodge with like, you know, there was like an artifact to recover a person to save a second person and PC. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why we found ourselves everything. in this situation. We found yeah, ourselves. It was in. super risky. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a couple of things maybe I'd like to touch on, uh, too, is, is I think balancing difficulty, which is kind of what we're talking about right now. I Someone told me, like, I don't remember if it was you or someone else, but it's like, maybe we could adjust the difficulty of the fight. And, and I'm going to take it in a different angle, but like, maybe if you have a lot of cinematic players who want to bring their own difficulty, then maybe I'd be willing to have a fight that's less difficult because they're going to bring their own difficulty, you know? But at the mm -hmm. other end, what I noticed happen is, like, when you guys play super tactically, and we talked about this about, like, last fight, I think, 
when you guys plan super tactically, then as a game master, I am ruthless with my NPC. Like I'm not holding back anything because you guys are taking forever to strategize with like three, four, five people against me. So I need like, if I see an opportunity, I take it. Where if you guys would play a little bit more cinematic, a little bit more loose, when I have an opportunity, maybe I'm not going to take it 100% because, you know, sportsmanship. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's a really good point. Um, and I, I think that feeds into something that happens in all of our conversations is this element of trust, right? And maybe this is a good way to... I, I know you said you wanted to talk about that, Chris, but we're kind of running a little bit long. Um, yeah. So if you're okay with it, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to try to buckle this together. Go ahead. Um, so yeah, th this element of trust I think is really important. It's important towards the game master, right? Like you're saying, Chris, the players need to trust that. Okay, if if I'm playing more cinematic and I'm 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 creating my own risks or I'm accepting more risks, that the game master isn't gonna come and punish me for doing it. But the, this element of trust also needs to happen between players. Mm -hmm. the, the players need to trust each other. They need to trust that if you take away the table talk, if you take away the tactics and you, you, know, you tell people, just focus on your turn and, and let's have some fun with it and make some cool moments. But also, I've got your back and I'm not going to let something bad happen to your character if I can help it. Then all of the players can like everybody at the table has this trust, right? Of like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend a little bit less time worrying about who can defend me because they're gonna worry about that. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I think that element of trust is is a key solution to this uh, spectrum and the having different players among it, if that makes sense. Yeah, great. So. Um... Let's wrap it up, I guess. Uh, so today, today we talked about risk management, right? So on one end, we have people that are risk averse. They want to optimize off, often. They want to often in combat, it's going to be a tactical choice to try to minimize the risk of like, you know, take less damage and stuff like that. Um, takes less risk, not go away from the group and be caught off guard or something like that. Where on the other end, we have uh, people that are willing to take risk because uh, often it's because it's going to create cinematic moment. It could be also like for character choice or uh, motivations and stuff like that. But it's it's usually I'm willing to take risk because I hope it's going to be cool. The payoff is going to be worth it. And basically what we're saying, it's a spectrum. And depending on what is worth it to you to take the risk, um, then you might be on one end or the other. Yeah, and, and at the table, you're going to have people who find themselves along this spectrum. And I think the, the consensus here is that there are benefits to each of these types of players. Uh, people who are a little bit more tactical bring, um, you know, bring a strategy to the game. They bring this analysis and this, this um, quote-unquote you know, systematic approach to trying to, to, to tackle the challenges that they have in front of them. But sometimes at the expense of the speed of the game, uh, sometimes at the expense of the, of the cinematic pacing and that kind of thing. Whereas the people on the other end of the spectrum who are more risk 
uh, they they're going to accept risk more often and they're going to create these risky situations they create cinematic moments they create really impactful moments but sometimes it's at the expense of their character sometimes it's at the expense of other people's character and and sometimes it bogs down it bogs down the moments to just have too many of these these oscar moments you know you not every minute of the movie can have an oscar moment um and then we talked a little bit about trying to find a middle ground trying to have people come together trying to have players push themselves to accept more risk if they if they don't want to have a lot of risk in their games and then for people who do accept a lot of risk for them to try to become more aware of when a situation is very risky and when they should kind of dial down the risk that they generate for the rest of the party. Great. I think I think that touches on a lot of things we talked about. Uh, I had a I had a lot of fun, and I just want to say my game is so. Everybody says my game is so deadly. I don't think I've killed a player yet in that game, except one that asked for it. So I just want to defend myself here. I'm I'm I looks deadly, but it's not. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> I, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We had a lot of fun talking about these uh, this player behavior, uh, and we're hoping to have other episodes on this. So if if there is a type of behavior that you want us, or maybe a psychology, like Chris, uh, you had called it, if if there is this behavior out there that you want us to try to analyze and put a spectrum on, please let us know. Uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter. That's at roll underscore play underscore chat. We have an email that's contactroleplaychat at gmail.com. We hope you guys uh, enjoyed this discussion and we'll see you soon. Awesome. Let's call it a chat. <laughs> <laughs>